0: city it's your man big pat the voice of your charlotte hornets and you're listening to the all hornets podcast network presented by sports illustrated
1: you are listening to inside the hive on the all hornets podcast network one podcast feed with multiple shows making sure we cover the charlotte hornets from every angle if you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave it a five-star review. The All Hornets Podcast is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. Chase, you're back after our guest, Mike Scotty last week. Thank you, Mike, for coming on. Just me and you here this week, we are doing Hornets players 10 and 60. For today's show, hitting every Hornets player in the rotation within 60 minutes, giving you our, our key thoughts, some maybe interesting stats, and just reviewing each guy's kind of performance, a bit of a stock check for where they're at. So I'm looking forward to the episode this week. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing very well, yes. the Just the dynamic duo back in the saddle this week. I'm looking forward to it too. I thought that 9 and 60 episode was honestly like one of the better episodes and ideas that we've thought of for an episode that we've ever done. So I'm very much looking forward to this one as well. Got a couple of guys that weren't as heavily featured in that 9 and 60 that are going to yeah. be very strong proponents of the rotation this time around. So it's going to be interesting to talk about.
1: Absolutely. And and we didn't include Gordon Hayward. We didn't include Mark Williams, uh, long-term health absentees. They have played some games. The last time we did the 960 chase, the Hornets have played seven games. Okay. It was, I think November 7th, November 8th, something like that. I mean, a lot has changed since then. Um, there are players in the rotation now who hadn't even played a single NBA minute basically at that point. So It'll definitely be interesting for those listeners who listen back to this one to to use this as a reference point, like you said. Um, But Chase, we should probably get started here pretty soon because we we got a lot to cover today. Um, I will say thank you for those people who have been tuning in to the Stingers, the mock trade programs that we've had so far. I think we have three more planned. We have the Golden State Warriors. We have the Oklahoma City Thunder and the LA Lakers all to come before the trade deadline. So they are shorter podcasts where we have a guest on who covers another team and we're going into some mock trade negotiation discussions. Um, so they, they've been a good, good fun show. Um, next week, we are two Mondays away or Tuesdays away. That's our release day for the podcast from the trade deadline. Uh, we are going to be doing some our own mock trades. We're going to be going diving deep into the trade machine next week, looking at some of our favorite deals. Then the week after, we're going to be probably doing a rumour roundup within 48 hours before the trade deadline. Hopefully things will have hotted up a little bit there. And, and things are beginning to pick up already. We've seen some reporting from Jake Fisher, from Shams. You know, there are some Hornets names being floated around. Um, you know, apparently a lot of the roster is available, which it's not a surprise. Uh, I'm sceptical how much will be moved. But interesting to see some reporting already.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a nice change from last year when though the team was struggling to a similar degree with injuries, like the most we had to look forward to really was a Mason Plumley trade or a Kelly Oubre trade who didn't even end up getting traded. Uh, Jalen McDaniels left and I think what they got Svee and I think 3 seconds in return that deadline. Hopefully this time around, assuming that, you know, all these players that are featuring in the rumor mill, like Terry Rozier, PJ Washington, probably the the two main players that have that have surfaced. I mean, those guys could bring back some seriously appealing assets. So hopefully we have at least a little bit more to look forward to. And yeah. then if we were inevitably disappointed by a lack of, of movement, we at least have a lot of uh, rumors to talk about to cycle through here over these next couple of weeks. So, unlike last year. so we got to take I, I, what we can get.
1: And with us having Mike on last week and doing trades for the next two weeks, we wanted to take this episode to really focus on some of the on-court stuff because that is very important at the same time. Okay, a reminder for those people who uh, maybe did not listen to the last 960. Today's a 1060. Um, we have six minutes to talk about a player. When that six minutes are up, we have our friend MC Hammer who's going to tell us to stop just like this. Stop. Hammer time. That is code for time up on to the next player. No matter where we're up to, finish your point, we're going to move on to the next player. So, Chase, are you ready to go here?
0: I'm ready to go. Let's do it.
1: Okay, well, I'm going to get us started with Lamella Ball. Um, He has been back now for four games. Uh, He went down not long after our last 960. Um, He then missed his last game with a right ankle tweak again. In that same game, he was seen to play with his wrist. He was grabbing his hamstring and his glute. Um, I'm petrified every time he drives into the lane. <laughs> um, he just doesn't seem to be built, uh, to, you know, every single game he plays, he seems to have something. There was a game where he kept falling into cameramen in the sidelines. Like he, he does play, he's not reckless, but he just has a knack for like finding himself in these positions where he ends up putting himself in harm's way. But since he's been back, he obviously had those two months off. points, five rebounds, six assists, 46% from the field, 36% from three, 7.8 free throw attempts per game uh, since he's returned. So he's been playing pretty well um, since coming back, considering that he's still clearly not at 100%. He came back into a Hornets team, which was definitely struggling. Um, But I mean, the key thing that stood out to me really is his defense that's coming back. I mean, I looked at this He's actually up at 2.8 deflections per game in the NBA, which is 15th in the league. And, and that's like on a par with guys like Gary Payton, who plays for Warriors, Dyson Daniels, who plays for New Orleans. And, and these are guys who are like known to be defensive disruptors. So for him to be on a par with those guys is just super impressive. And and I've really noticed he's definitely had some better defensive tapes that's come back, seemed really engaged. That first game he came back. I mean, maybe it was because he was fresh because he was coming off two months off, but he was looking super active on the defensive end. So, you know, the offense has been decent, not spectacular, but decent considering, but the defense has definitely looked uh, a kind of a a grade up a little bit from when we saw him in the first part of the season.
0: Yeah. And if I remember correctly, like even in that first nine and 60, the general energy and effort that he showed on that end was something that we noted, like in the past, And this goes for a lot of players that are, you know, the offensive engine, the franchise cornerstone, number one option on their team. Being like some, you know, hard nose, like slap the floor defender isn't necessarily necessary because you're expending so much energy on offense, having one of the highest usage rates in the league, like what LaMelo has. You don't have to necessarily be that guy, but he was at that point a little bit. And especially now coming back off this injury, having like well over a month off, he probably is pretty fresh apart from having what appears to be lingering soreness on every part of his body over the last couple games. But I mean, he's definitely, you know, conditioning wise seems to be at a pretty high level right now. And I think just my favorite thing about LaMelo this whole year, but especially over the last like couple months, he has flipped from being not even not necessarily flipped from but he has added basically being one of the best and most efficient drivers in the entire league on top of being like a high volume floor spacer. Right now, LaMelo is 7th in the NBA in drives per game, 16.9. He, among those players taking 15 drives per game, which there are about 15 players doing that, LaMelo is 6th in percentage. He's one of the only guys that's shooting over Mm. 52%. Like, he is getting to the rim at an extremely high volume. He's finishing at over 50% clip, which at most of the time, when you think of somebody driving to the rim and finishing around the rim, It's a big man that's shooting, you know, well over 50%, near 60%. Like, all the leaders in the league in true shooting percentage, for the most part, are big men. Well, for Lamelo to be driving to the rim at that volume and be finishing that efficiently is super impressive. Like, the other guys that are that efficient are, like, Luka Doncic, Shea, Ja Morant, Giannis... Like Tyrese Halliburton is up there. Like, there's Zion Williamson is only like what less than one percentage point more efficient than LaMelo on a nearly equal amount of drives. Like, he's legitimately one of the most potent threats going to the rim in the league this year. It's you it's, see, it's, that, it's crazy what he's added to, to his game.
1: That's interesting because when you actually look at his rim numbers, his percentages, he shot right. 54% three years in a row, including this year. So I guess what and, and that actually for a point guards only racks in the 24th percentile like that is you know low basically it's not a great percentage however I think what you said there is key it's the volume at that mm-hmm. percentage it's the volume combined so the percentage might not be brilliant but the volume is exceptionally high and that ends up talking you know that ends up really helping and what that rim percentage doesn't capture is his foul rate which is absolutely well up this year 8.6% up from 5.3% last year and 7% the year before. So it's a real, like in his rookie year, it was up at 10%. But like at that point, you're not being scouted and like you're playing less minutes, but it's clearly getting, he's getting fouled the most. And he's actually getting a lot more less like non-shooting fouls, uh, which are interesting because I think he's beginning to understand when just to like run into a moving defender and draw a foul kind of out around the free throw line. Um, So what those room numbers don't capture is that increased foul rate, and there's more free throw attempts per game, which is just adding to his efficiency. Um, but no, it's it's a really good point and one that I wanted to make as well. So, yeah, I think that's that lamella ball still looking to attack even after the ankle sprain, something we didn't see when he came back last year from injury, he very much stayed outside the three point arc and focused on that. Right time. We're out of time. I mean, okay, On to you, next player.
0: All right, so m- most of the season been the number one option, dropped back to the number two option as of late. Terre Rozier, I mean, expectedly so. The scoring has dropped off slightly since Lamelo's has come back. Passing numbers honestly are still there, production wise, and I think he's proven over the course of the last two seasons, especially this year, perfectly capable and comfortable playing both backcourt positions, toggling on and off ball as a playmaker, secondary creator. Obviously is one of the most explosive players in the league this year is like coming, putting himself on the radar as like a true 20 plus point per game scorer on high volume hasn't necessarily led to wins for the Hornets per se, but it has clearly led to him being one of the more attractive options on the trade market, mm. highest tr- true shooting percentage of Terry's career this year, while also on the highest usage rate of his career. I mean, as a result, like I said, one of the hottest names on the trade market. It makes perfect sense because it's coming at the right time right now. And the Hornets are clearly looking to move on a little bit. Terry's positioning himself to, himself to be a either a leader going forward that you can rely on to be a reliable contributor when the mellows out or b a very attractive trade asset for a team that is currently competitive right now and in a bit better of a situation than the Hornets.
1: Yeah, I mean. I said earlier in the season, I, I still think there is a really good role for Terry's ear to be the sixth man. And you saw while mellow Ball was out, Terry was actually played the best basketball of the season so far. And when he's come back, like those numbers have dropped off a little bit. And the the feeling has always been that Terry's is, ear is better as that off-ball scorer. And that's certainly probably been our stance, I think, over the the time he's he's proven to be that. This year, I'm beginning to wonder if it's almost swinging back the other way with the pendulum. Like, when he is able to have the ball in his hands, he sometimes looks like he's more in rhythm and he's more engaged offensively. And again, some of these trade markets that are looking for him, maybe that's what they're looking at. So I, I do think there is something to be said here. You know, if you could get that big upgrade at the two, a you know, a better defender, you know, someone also with size, so your backcourt was two guys, was six five, six six plus... Rozier coming off your bench is just like a really great spot to be in. And as a as a potential spot starter, if Lamella Ball is going to be injury prone over the course of his career, to have Rozier as that sixth man to step in would be would be perfect. So I'm still reluctant to move Rozier before the trade deadline. Like but I also appreciate if he's playing this well and some team wants to really put you know two firsts on a table or you know a, another player you have to this team is so far away that you have to listen to everything and you can't get too picky
0: yeah i completely agree i still have that stance along with you that there is certainly a role for a player that is as productive as reliable in terms of their injury status like apart from that nine missed games early in the year like he has been available and efficient he's playing quality two-way basketball you really just can't get that out of many players especially at his size and like Even at his contract value, like if he's going to put that up consistently and even in like a little bit less of a role with a more quality team off the bench or something like those numbers are still going to be pretty close to team friendly at what his contract value is going to be at over the next couple of years with the cap rising as well. And just to put it into perspective, how much better he's got as an on ball scorer this year, Terry leads the team of the Hornets in mid range field goal percentage, 49 percent, 80th percentile among guards. His first year with the Hornets, he was fourth on the team in mid-range field goal percentage, 37%, 36th percentile among guards. So, I mean, he has like literally night and day transformation as an on-ball scorer at the second level, being able to pick his spots and kind of snake pick and rolls, weave his way through the defense. Very patient, plays with pace as a point guard and really is just an extremely high level scorer over the last year plus that he's developed into. It's very impressive to see.
1: He's got so much better as a, as a player since joining the Charlotte Hornets. He, he was 25 so years old better. when he joined Charlotte, right? Most, you know, people at 25 years old, you think you, you are what you are, right? That's what a lot of people would say. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're not going to get that much better in your, your mid-20s. Like, his usage in his first three seasons was, uh, well, like 24% or under. This, last year, it was up at 28. This year, it's up at 29. And he's having the most efficient season of his career, and his assist percentage, again, like is up to 31% from 20% in his first three seasons. So he has really just taken things up to another level this season. And I'd like, he won't win most improved or he won't even be in the top 10 of votes probably. But if the Hornets were doing better and Rosier was putting up these same numbers, I think he would be more in the conversation. And and I guess like, again, if it was over a broader period of time, but a real credit to Terry he, uh, he's putting a lot of work to get better. And that's something that we all have to remember. Like, if you have those people with the attitude that Terry Rozier has, you get better every single year of your career. Not just, you know, when you're 23, 24 and you think, well, that's it. That's the ceiling.
0: I mean, if this is the end of the run for Terry Rozier as a Charlotte Hornet in the next couple of weeks here, like, I, I, I very much hope that the fan base kind of appreciates what he's done in his time. Like he is top 10 in franchise history in blocks in his time here in four and a half years. Like not part of that is, is again, because the, the, the Hornets history is not the most illustrious, but like there are a lot of good bigs that came through this organization in the eighties and nineties. And Terry has cemented his place among Hornets history in the last couple of years.
1: Okay to our next guy miles bridges um we spoke about miles i think in in early january was our last time we spoke about miles in a little bit more extended lines and i think at that top time his his level of play is a little bit after his hot start his hot return his defense was going through a particularly bad spell um but again if you look at like the 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 averages over the season he's pretty much in line with the way he was the season before he basically missed a, you know, a whole season plus 10 games Um, remarkably similar, actually scarily. So considering how much time and how long he's been away to be, be, to be that similar. Um, I think, look, there have been some signs of life. I think since that early January stretch, especially on the defensive end. And and one thing that I do like, and this is often, you know, you're not going to see this in stats, but you can just reading between the lines of how teammates and coaches talk about like miles, takes responsibility for his mistakes. You know, he said a couple of times to the media, like, I wasn't good enough tonight. I made too many turnovers. I wasn't good enough tonight. You know, my off-ball defense was not what it needs to be. So, yeah, he makes some terrible mistakes, but at least he takes some ownership for that. And that's not always something you hear from a lot of NBA players and other Hornets players. And Steve Clifford's gone out of his way several times to congratulate, not congratulate, but just to positively talk about Miles Bridges impact like being around the team. Just like a guy, you know, a, a great teammate is the, the term that he uses. And again, I don't know. I think Terry Zero is a great teammate. I think Lamella Ball is, is a good teammate. I think he's fun to be around. He keeps it lighthearted, positive energy. Um, I don't know how many of those other guys would be described as, as great teammates. You know, his three-point shot remains streaky. He's in an upward swing at the minute. I think the last eight games, he's at 43%. 6.6 attempts per game. And Chase, I've noticed Miles Bridges with the shot clock on his back, I swear is like a 90% three-point shooter. It you, He always seems to find the ball like at the end, to close out halves with the shot clock running down. Like someone's fumbled it into his hands. He's hit some remarkable late clock threes this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the first games that he was back, like one of the Hornets, probably the Hornets' best win of the season when they beat Boston was that... Yeah. Like, end of shot clock, like, 30-foot heave off the catch that went straight down. Uh, he has definitely been a little bit inconsistent from three. But overall, like, I agree with you that the 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 general play has picked up quite a bit. The I, I believe he posted on something on Instagram being like, my bad, Charlotte, like, I haven't been good enough. Like, I'll be better lately. And then he put up, like, two 25-point games, like, immediately yeah. after posting that or something. Uh, he, he's definitely been a lot better over the last couple of months. And I was, I was a very vocal critic of him right away. So, I mean, obviously he has picked it up a significant degree over the last, probably, you know, a couple of weeks, I would say, since we made that, that last podcast episode, yeah. something very notable that I've about his three point shot, while it is inconsistent. I think a lot of that is the off the dribble threes. He's a 41.1% shooter off the catch this year on 3.7, three point attempt, attempts per game, catch and shoot three point attempts per game which is a very respectable number. and That's pretty much what you want out of a player that's filling the role that he has, but which is kind he of almost, like... He really always shoots a set score. shot.
1: Like, it, it is yes. almost like a set shot. Like, a kind of... And, and that makes sense, you know, that, that anything off the dribble always does look a little tougher for Miles. And that's, that's what we really didn't like, I think, was there was a lot of mid-range shots coming in December and early January. There was a lot of mid-range. And we know that's just not a strength.
0: Yeah, and even then over the last like couple weeks he had i think he over the first like couple weeks of the of his return i should say he didn't really look quite as explosive but over the last couple weeks now since he's kind of picked up his play a little bit i think that's kind of come back and maybe it was just lack of conditioning or just not being used to the pace of the of the game that he had been playing at for you know being out for a year but mm-hmm. now it seems like he's settled in a little bit he hasn't had nearly as many or really any of the like highlight real dunks or alley-oops that he used to have but he definitely looks more explosive like a little more bouncy and just generally like equally as athletic or not equally but closer to as athletic as what he was a couple of years ago when that was like a, a very real concern when he came back was he just looked like very sluggish and a lot more ground bound than he used to be
1: yeah and you know we criticize a lot of players on this team not criticize but we we, we moan about the missing games okay injuries Miles Bridges is remarkably available, and that's something I don't think people talk about enough. He's never played less than sixty-six games in a season, and that was basically due to COVID. He did have a shoulder injury that list that year, but he also picked up COVID and missed like I think two weeks, basically. And when you talk about things to take into account, that is like one of the first things you talk about. As Miles Bridges is always available, apart from off-court issues, but health-wise, he is always available, and that's something that should be. Uh, made aware of. Um, Interesting fact, uh, you think that he's a beast of a downhill driver, right? You know, getting to the rim and he has almost identical numbers, both in terms of frequency and finishing percentages as Gordon Hayward driving to the rim, which like if you'd have told people that, people would have thought that Miles Bridges is a much better finisher and he gets there more because of his athleticism. Um, So I just thought that was really interesting. One thing he does need to do is to try and focus on uh, passing more off those drives. I think Hayward has, you know, passes up at 40% of his drives. L- uh, Miles Bridges only down 29%. And that's quite low for the team. So I think he's a little bit head down on those drives. And that's something that needs to take take into account a little Stop. bit more. Hammer time. Um, the last thing I want to make before we move on, I'm going to disrespect MC Hammer. The free agent sweepstakes are go, are, you know, the things things are changing here for Miles Bridges. Pascal Siakam off the board basically. OG Ananobi, basically off the board. He is becoming the premier power forward free agent this offseason, and I think his level of play recently, if he can keep this up, you know, teams like Detroit, who are lingering space and are probably panicking, I think Miles Bridges is maybe playing himself into be one of the premier free agents this summer, just with other names going off the board. So that's one last point I wanted to make.
0: All right, we'll move it on to Brandon Miller were the recently excluded from ESPN's top 10 rookie rankings, Brandon Miller. Was, I mean, to be fair, it was almost certainly due to injury, but even then, very hard to argue that he's not one of the five best or much less 10 best rookies this season. He's fourth on the team in on-off point differential via cleaning the glass. Very impressive for a rookie. The only players that are better than him are Mello, Mark, and Hayward in that end. He's impacting the game on both ends. As a very young player, he's still only 20 years old. Playing with a chip on his shoulder, impressive poise as a ball handler as well. Uh, he had a week off recently after that, you know, semi-controversial undercutting of that in that layup uh, against the Spurs, where Keldon Johnson kind of took him out a little bit. I personally didn't think it was a dirty play, but he did end up missing some time after that. But came back and dropped back-to-back games of 24-9 and 23-7-3 after that, one of which was a win for the Hornets. The only real negative I can think of over the last, you know, month or two. Is that his three point shot does fluctuate like quite a bit? Uh, I have to believe that'll come around eventually, but he and he is still at 37.4% on five and a half three point attempts per game this season anyway. So, again, we, this was pretty much the same thing as the first nine and 60 we did with Brandon Miller. There's very little to complain about with him in his rookie season. He's fully lived up to what you'd expect from a number two overall pick as a rookie. Looks perfectly capable of growing into an even bigger role as he develops and reaches his prime alongside Lamelo. So, all positive reviews on Brandon Miller for me. What about you, James?
1: Yeah, I, I really like the rebounding recently. You know, nine yep. rebounds, seven rebounds, back-to-back games. I think that's something that's one this Hornets team needs. Um, that will come more with strength. But he was a good rebounder in college, and it didn't really translate early in the season. He was playing more of the two, so he was on the perimeter more, but. With Nick Richards, Mark Williams being out, I feel like he's been making a more concerted effort to rebound. And I like that because when he gets the ball, he can grab and go as well. And he's got out on transition a few times. Uh, and he's just a really high IQ basketball player. And I like having the ball in his hands. So I want him to try and keep up that rebounding effort for the rest of the year here. Um, I think that would be, be good to see, you know, trying to get to some double-digit rebound games. That could be just another another feather in his cap, really, for the for the end of the season. But I just, I just watch Brandon Miller play and I just think he makes, he is just a perfect like second or third option. He just make there's all the little things he can pass, he can handle. Um, he doesn't force it. He's so easy to play with. Um, and, you know, I, I had my big feature on Brandon Miller, Brandon Miller's mid-range masterclass, which if you haven't read it yet, go on the, the SI Hornets website, uh, some exclusive quotes from Brandon Miller and Steve Clifford in there about Brandon Miller's mid-range game. And, you know, Clifford said just like, His off-ball scoring ability is what makes him potentially like really special because he can, you know, getting to his spots without just having the ball and dancing with it, that is hard to find those like complementary players at times. So, yeah, I'm thrilled with what we've seen out of Brandon Miller. Um, I think there's so many reasons for him to have failed this season, you know, with how many things are going on. I think that week off actually hurt him because I think he was ill and playing with two sprained ankles and just, like, having that week off with the hit probably just allowed those things to get a little bit better and I made him a little bit more fresh. And I think that's why I've seen better performances in these, these last two games, but I I still think he looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, I I think he is, he doesn't have a clear route to all rookie first team. I thought he did earlier in the season, but that's getting a beginning to get a little bit more tricky. I mean, what do we think it's going to be uh Victor? I feel like Jaime Harker is going to be on there. Um, who else are we talking about? Kianti
0: George. I mean, after that, my my personal pick would probably be Brandon Miller. After the big three of Jaime, Chet, and Wemby, I mean, of those three, I mean, Brandon Miller is the third highest scorer of those three. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Brandon Miller averages 14 and a half points per game. Jaime Hawkins at 14. Uh, maybe uh, Scoot Henderson, I guess, could be up there. Maybe Duak Reith, like a, a sneaky candidate, he plays quite a bit for a, a 2 yeah. rookie on a two-way. Yeah, he, I, he, I,
1: he he should be first team. I j- I just seen like we I know there's the yeah. whole no, I, I agree with you, ladder thing that left him off. The, it, it seems like things have gone quiet, but that did also come in the time that around like he was injured and not playing. So maybe I'm putting too much stock into that. If he keeps playing at the level he's at, like I, I he should be first team. It shouldn't be particularly close. Uh, Chet, Victor, and Jaime Harkes. And I like, think Brandon Miller are probably your locks, assuming everyone plays the way they did. And then there's one more spot available for a Hawkins, for a Henderson, a Keontae George, one of the Thompson twins, something like that. All right, still got time, but let's move on.
0: All right, let's do it.
1: Uh, Nick Richards, your new Hornets starting center. Uh, well, not even anymore because he is also out with a ankle injury, another one to add to the line. Um, Nick Richards as a starter since Mark Williams has been out the lineup, nine points, nine rebounds, 1.2 assists, 0.7 turnovers, 1.3 blocks. I mean, I've been pretty disappointed. I have to say, um, his, his counting stats are up. Like if you look just because of the minutes played, he's up at 29 minutes per game. But I mean, if you give any seven foot guy in the NBA, who's like remarkably okay at basketball, 29 minutes, they're basically going to put up like 10, 10, and 1 most of the time, like even if they're not a good basketball player. Um, And and I don't think Nick has been awful, but like the efficiency and effectiveness and impact measurements are just down across the board, all the metrics. um, You know, his rebound percentage, his block percentage. Uh, Last year, his foul rate was at 26%. He was one of the most fouled players. I think he was fourth in the league in like foul rate. He was absolutely getting fouled by everyone. This year, it's down to 18, and I just don't understand why that would drop. Like He used to get fouled going for offensive rebounds all the time. It seems like maybe Clifford has dialed him back from going for offensive board to get back on defense. Maybe, maybe that is why, but there's just so many times you look out there and you feel that Nick Richards is overmatched on both ends, and he struggles to impact the game, gets into foul trouble at times. Uh, and and maybe that's one of the reasons his impact is down is because he's now trying to balance staying out of foul trouble, whereas that never used to be the issue, and and now you're having to see him make decisions: don't block that shot, don't try grab that rebound, and and that's dropped his impact and effectiveness a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you made the point about his counting stats being up, but it not necessarily reflecting that if you dig a little deeper, because I mean, you you could make the argument that when you born out in the advanced stats like Nick Richards is probably the worst rotation player on the team right now his on-off point differential is minus 4.6 was 24th percentile among all centers or minus 6.6 is 22nd percentile minus 4.6 offensively defensively he's still a positive asset technically but among centers he is again only in the 34th percentile like he is just you know, in the bottom third of pretty much every player at his position in pretty much every category, like there's really no way in which he's excelling right now. And to your point about his foul rate going down, I think the reason why that that happens is because he has displayed very little growth in terms of like low post scoring, any sort of finishing touch, like he is still essentially a run and dunk big, which again, like that can lead to being very efficient and like you said being you know good for eight and eight ten and ten depending on how many minutes you get but you're just not going to be an overly positive asset to your team in that way because a you can be schemed like out of the game as we've seen with him a getting into foul trouble b just being a complete lack of an offensive option outside of screening and rolling to the rim and he also is just not ever going to be able to create anything for himself so when he doesn't play with players like LaMelo or Terry, which happens semi-often because the team has been so injured that it's hard to keep one of those guys on the floor at the same time, it, it just ex- is exacerbated even further the lack of offensive utility that he has, which I I just think it's time that – I mean, he has clearly established himself as a backup center and is still probably on a pretty good contract. But I definitely think this last month or so has shown that it's time for a new look at, at backup center here for the Hornets because it's just not – working very well anymore
1: a new look as in you would look to move on from nick richards
0: yeah i mean to me i that would be one of the first things that i would be doing if i were mitch Kupchak or whoever ends up being the decision maker for this team going forward like it's just switching it up in some way because he it's just it's more of the same with mark except he's kind of just worse in most ways like he's a little bit more physical than mark and but, Mark is still a little bit bigger, and obviously has way more offensive skill and touch around the rim and mm. is even more of a lob threat and a better roller and better defender and drop and in space. Like now the free throw and the foul foul rate is not equal, but much closer to being equal to where you can at least row with Mark and maybe use pJ as a small ball five that they've had to do lately. like. Use you know some other big that gives you a little bit of a different matchup than what Nick does because it's it's just not bearing itself out in any sort of impactful way right now.
1: Do do you think Nick Richards is a better player this season than Mason Plumley was last trade deadline?
0: No, not no. I don't think so at all. I think Mason Plumley was marginally better. I think in in my eyes, because because of how much more utility he has offensively. Like he was a he was a rotation player for a playoff team. Like. And Nick Richards being a rotation player for the Hornets, I don't know that he is, like, an every-night rotation player for a playoff team right now. Like, it, it just with the way yeah. that he can only score when being, like, fed be- shots around the rim, which yeah.
1: and, and, is a hard and way And sometimes live. on a better team, that, that fits better. Because, like, on a team where someone's drawing lots of doubles, like on the Mavericks, right, this is why Derek Livey's had a good season. Mm-hmm. Because he's playing next to Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, who are crafty, draw doubles, draw a ton of help, and then you, all they have to do is find him and he's able to dunk it. The Hornets just don't have that kind of roster. Uh, but it, it's interesting. I I also had in my notes, like, I think the Hornet, like, he's one of the few Hornets who might have trade value this deadline because he's locked up on a low-cost deal, um, whereas Plumley wasn't expiring, right? So that's, even though Plumley was a better player, maybe the value around there is some sort of equivalent because of the contract status. And, and I'm sorry, MC Hammer. I'm gonna have to disrespect you here. Um, I think an upgrade at centre might be something that the, this team looks at in the off season. And and this isn't upgrading backup centre. I'm talking starter. Like maybe Mark Williams. Like I don't think we should just be putting him in in like permanent marker next season as a starter. Not with his back issues. um, Not with like what this team has lacked. You know, this off season there are some guys: Nick Claxton, Jonas Valanciunas, Isaiah Hartenstein who could be, you know, even Goga Goga who, you know, guys played really well for Orlando this year after basically getting released from Indiana. Um, those are all guys who give you toughness, defense, rebounding, and are probably more impactful right now than than Nick Richards. And I think could even start ahead of Mark Williams. And then, like, imagine if you've got Mark Williams coming off the bench, and he can still be your long-term project, but you've got some guy there who, while he's getting this back thing sorted, and while the Hornets are trying to get back to respect to- respectability that's something that they can look at
0: all right so on to the next one i think this for me will be the most positive aspect of this hornet's 10 and 60 here is nick smith jr do you you want a very pleasing stat to kick this off james
1: please give it to me
0: among all rookies with at least 25 three-point attempts this season nick smith jr is first in three-point percentage at 44.6 percent he's 33 of 74 from deep on the year after struggling to shoot with consistency at arkansas it's great to see him bounce back like that especially obviously taking the jump up in competition like brandon miller he plays with a lot of energy but is a lot more chaotic and inconsistent defensively obviously very skinny still very young doesn't harm him much on offense because he has insane shooting touch and plays with supreme confidence but can get moved around a little bit and is uh, a bit prone to dying on screens. Defensively, scoring has fallen off slightly since that early stretch in January. I uh, use in double digits in four out of six games. But for me, highly positive returns on both of the 2023 first rounders so far. But for a 27th pick in the draft, like from what we've seen from Nick, this seems like it's going to be a home run draft value selection which the Hornets have not had one of those in quite a few years after they had a very strong stretch in the late 2010s. So great to see it from Nick. It's great to see him just be a, like a permanent member of, of the rotation in its own right as well. He was not a part of the nine and 60 had not really been, I don't know if he had even played in an NBA game yet by the time that we had done that first podcast through seven games in the season, but was obviously not nearly the part of the, of the team that he was now. So Shout out to Nick. He's been very good lately. He's probably my my favorite part of the team over the last like couple months.
1: So I'm probably gonna fall a little bit short of, you know, a home run pick value at that point. yet. Like, I've seen some positive flashes and there's been some good things. But for me, there are still too many holes in this game right now to like just just to like pencil him into an NBA rotation. Um look, the scout is out on him now. He was a guy not in the scouting report at all in his first stretch of games and you kept seeing him get open in his spots and now you notice i mean the philly game is a really good example like they are taking away they know he wants to get to his pull at mid-range and they know he wants to shoot three pointers and if you take all of that away he isn't a great creator he's not a great defender yet despite their high effort and he's not somebody who can get to the rim so you start to see some of these games recently where he's kind of not impacting the game quite as much as he was early on. And that's just because the scout is out. Um, It's nothing more than that. And now this is where you get into the metagame, right? You have to try and find a way, okay, so if you're going to take that away from me, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm going to get to. And that development normally takes some time for rookies. That's when they start to hit the rookie wall. But you're right. He is, you know, pushed his way above Bryce McGowan's in the rotation, ahead of James Buckknight in the rotation. Maybe not that hard. but he has kind of emerged here and earned a bit of Steve Clifford's trust. And that's something which for any young rookie um, who I don't think, you know, we weren't expecting him to be in the rotation this year at all. We expecting him to basically play in Greensboro because, you know, when this team's healthy, he still probably wouldn't get near that top nine. If you add Gordon Hayward and Mark Williams back into this mix, but because of the guy's missing time constantly, he's found himself with an opportunity and, Like Steve Clifford keeps saying, Well, this is this is actually really good that these guys get a chance now because I think it'll help us in the long run. Well, he said the same thing last season, and I'm I'm really not seeing the help, I'm not seeing that positive benefit of these young guys getting playing time yet because a lot of these guys just still look a little bit out their depth. They still look flustered. There hasn't been that much development. We'll talk about some more guys here in a minute who've maybe struggled a little bit more. But I've still been encouraged by what I've seen with Nick Smith Jr. But You have to start showing me okay what is next what else have you got in your game apart from that three-point shot and that mid-range pull-up because teams are just going to take that away
0: yeah and so and when he was at arkansas that was kind of the problem as well granted at that time he had the knee injury to kind of fall back on he didn't really get to the rim as well because his i think it was a meniscus injury that he had that he was suffering through all year now it's kind of just a lack of creation ability. He's not a great ball handler, even if he looks pretty good with the ball in his hands at times. He's a quick guy, but not the quickest. He's not, obviously not strong yet, as I mentioned earlier. How he kind of counters that is going to be interesting going forward. I think if he just adds a pretty decent amount of strength, that's going to do a lot for him. Because to me, strength and shooting touch as a combination from like a guard slash wing, I, I believe Steve Clifford has actually referred to him as a wing like multiple times in. Yeah, is pre and post. He actually yeah, said
1: so- he's not a guard. <laughs> he's went right, yeah. he out of his way to say he is a wing, not a guard.
0: Yeah. So I mean if you add strength and shooting touch together as like a combination for an offensive player skill set on the wing, to me, that is like one of the most valuable combinations you can have because that's going to allow you to create shots with pretty much anybody guarding you because you you have touch, you can shoot in contested areas and tight spaces. If you have strength. You can move players around and get to your spots without being, you know, having to suffer through like any sort of physicality issues. If he can just do that, I think that's going to solve a lot of problems because the shooting touch, as we've mentioned, like if he once he gets to those spots in the mid range, like it, it's very hard. Like almost every time he shoots, you think it's going to go in, it's yeah, because I agree. of how, how smooth it looks once he gets to that spot.
1: Yeah, it's just for me. Do you have the athleticism to get there, and do you have mm-hmm. like? Enough creativity as a passer for guys just like not to step straight in front of you for the help defense and stuff like that. So, yeah. Okay. Next up, Cody Martin, who had played 11 games since returning. Um, he is going to miss tonight's game. Uh, we were recording this Monday evening against Minnesota with a right knee contusion, uh, which is a little concerning because of his history. But, I, you know, I, he did knock knees in that Philadelphia game. So, there is some hope that. That is the reason, and it's not part linked to the injury. And, and maybe it's just precautionary. Um, Look, it's been... Last time we spoke about Cody Martin, I think he came back and offensively was actually looking really good. Look, it's been a tale of two Cody Martins. Defensively, he's been a monster. Like His block percentage is at 2%. Steel percentage at 2.6%. These are 98th percentile in both for a wing, which is just absolutely outrageous. His on-off stats are fantastic defensively. The team are five points better off uh, when he's playing defensively. That's in the 86th percentile. So defensively, he's been like really active, um, forced a ton of turnovers, like he's doing well in terms of deflections. The problem is offensively, it's probably been, you know, just to stark the contrast, where he has really, really struggled to find any sort of offensive rhythm. Uh, he is in the first percentile the or the warmth percentile they might call that in points for shot attempt 86 points per 100 possessions i mean that is just terrible like out of the nba level offensive efficiency the the shot still like looks fine i think when he's taking it it's just not going in right now and he's showing a little bit like when the shot clocks down he's definitely looked flustered at times and i think he's lost his confidence a little bit offensively he's not found his flow He needs to find that back to be like the player that he was. That's what got him that contract is because he was like, he was an okay offensive player while being a plus defender. And at the minute, he's just kind of turned into a bit like a Matisse Stiebel, where he's great on one end, but is absolutely killing you on the other. Um, I still think overall it's been positive. You know, he's not been sitting out back to backs. That's really positive considering the nature of his knee injury. But I'd say it's been an overall mixed bag for Cody Martin. I just really hope if he misses like multiple, like multiple games with this knee contusion. Now that for me is like code for we ramped up again, we tried it and he is still not feeling great. And now he's having to miss more time and that's, you know, red alert status. So let's hope that's not the case.
0: Yeah. And I remember, I think he was questionable or had that groin injury that popped up on the injury report. I remember Steve Clifford being like, yeah, I think I played him too much when he he came back and, Now he had just missed that on the podcast. We we said he was
1: playing too much. We said he's just played 35 minutes the last two games. And then the next game, Steve Clifford came out and said, I've been playing him too much. And that's why he's got the groin injury. And I was like, at least you've admitted it, Steve. But like, why do we have to do this? He says the same thing with Gordon Hayward as well.
0: Right. And it's now, you know, well into the second season of doing that. So you'd think that, that we would have some sort of awareness in that regard. But I mean, to the same degree, you. If a guy is healthy, de- deemed healthy by the medical staff, the Hornets are bad enough to where they just need good players on the court at all times. Cody Martin is obviously one of those guys. Like the toughness, tenacity, and feel for the game on both ends of the floor, which, like plenty of players on this team have what you would call feel for the game offensively. Very few have feel for the game as defensive players. Cody is one of them combined Absolutely. with that toughness and physicality. That was so sorely miss and another thing Steve Clifford has said in the past is that like just one rotation guy can make a huge difference in like what your team looks like and like Cody Martin I think was kind of who he was referring to when he would say things like that getting Cody Martin back it hasn't resulted in wins for many reasons but the team just generally gives off a much more competitive vibe when you watch them they're just a more cohesive unit defensively Again, the shot hasn't been there, but like he shoots it when he's open and it looks okay. So if he can get back to what he was two years ago, like he's going to be again, like an elite, low usage, three and D guard, which is a very specific role and he gets paid appropriately for it. But like that's a very valuable thing to have for a team that doesn't have many other players that can defend in the way that he does on the perimeter. Yeah.
1: And maybe this is one of the kind of amber flags for is that knee feeling great? Cody this year, you know, he's been, uh, in last three years, rim- percentage of his shots that come at the rim, 48%, 47%, 41%. This year it's down to 28. And that mid-range percentage has gone way up. So he's settling and pulling up more for mid-rangers, which I think that is a confidence thing. That is, I didn't feel confidence either exploding to the rim. <clears throat> I didn't feel confidence attacking this big, taking them on at the rim, trying to draw contact. And that, for me... That is the last step for Cody to get back to the level he was at. He needs to find that level of offensive confidence and efficiency. All right, over to you. We finished early. No need for MC to tell us to stop.
0: All right, we'll move right on to PJ Washington. And I mean, I'll be honest, like despite what is definitely a down year, like much of my analysis on PJ is pretty much the same as it's been Because a lot of it directly applies to his current situation. I've long thought he is, at best, like a fourth option on a playoff team, which is what he was during Charlotte's two play-in seasons when, um, among fans and media perspective, was probably when his stock was the highest. The last two years, he's been overextended, much less efficient as a result, especially this year. No coincidence to me that his lowest uh, effective field goal percentage seasons of his career are the last two seasons where he's had the most field goal attempts per game of his career. Role players often have bouts of inconsistency, like scoring-wise. PJ's no exception. But the one thing that I think is different from past years, is I think that the de- the defense has suffered a little bit. It's career low block and steal rates. Uh, but I I actually kind of think that that may not be the case on a better team where it just has a better defensive infrastructure. Uh, but I'm still, like apart from Terry, I'd have to imagine he's the most tradable guy on the team right now with that very team friendly declining contract and the fact that he's he does still fill the role of like a spacing four that can attack closeouts makes the occasional like nice connective pass and is like a fairly versatile front court defender that can protect the rim in small ball lineups so there's value in that but i just think that with the hornets he's just kind of just shown what he is and there's no real way for a player of his ilk to be effective on a team that's in the situation the Hornets are in right now. Yeah. The
1: I, I agree that he has the most interesting trade value, uh, you know, maybe outside of Terry's, ear. Um, I think Sacramento and Dallas are teams who pursued him a little bit in the offseason and wanted to sign him. And I don't think anything he's done this year is probably gonna of have, have change their mind on that. Like shooting efficiency is a bit down, but that that comes and goes. And it's been a like I say a strange situation this year. Um I I think he's really is a name to watch. Um, now, if you move him and you lose miles bridges, you could be heading into next year as JT Thor being your starting power forward, which is not an ideal position, but like equally this team needs to make some upgrades to this roster. Right. And then at that point you can go out to a, I don't know, Tobias Harris and say, we want you to be our starting power forward. You become our second or third option on the team. And you've got more of a role there. So there is an element of risk moving PJ, but I just think he doesn't fit what this team necessarily needs. Like this, this team, I've been thinking about this a little bit. This team needs to get bigger. You look at them play against Philadelphia, and they are so small. Uh, and playing like 6'6, six, 6'7 six, six, PJ Washington at power forward, like that is part of the reason here. Uh, you know, and I, I think long term, I know Miles Bridges plays more of the four generally in Charlotte. And I think if, if you want this to be a, a bigger team that is like tougher more physically, like he has to play the three because he's like 6'6 himself. And you need to have a guy with a lot more strength, interior presence, defense with some size, disruptive defender playing that four position who can maybe switch onto wings. And I just don't think PJ fits that. So I think he's got a role. I think he fits a, a ton of places really easily. I think people will like him as a small ball Five option as well but just not in charlotte where you're already dealing with a strength defense toughness issue across the rest of the roster then that just you know amplifies it with pj at the five
0: and we've said it before too if the goal of this team eventually in the long term is to just kind of make changes and shift the deck chairs around a little bit and come at it with a different group after years of mediocrity at best with many of the players that are here you got to make changes. PJ is one of the guys that's been here through that entire run where the best that they got was slightly over 500, you know, like at least give him as an individual, an opportunity to prove that as an NBA player on a slightly better team, where with the Hornets, the last two years, he's just been less efficient than he probably should be due to being overextended offensively. So definitely a guy to watch uh, on the trade market uh, in my eyes as well.
1: Yeah. Okay, moving on to my last player, JT Thor. Um, look, I don't have he was borderline to be included in the 10 and 60. He made the cut. Um I, I have one stat that I want to share about JT Thor. Oh boy. The selling point for JT Thor is right, disruptive defender, six ten, six eleven, long arms. Like he can he can get, you know, he can switch, he can be active. He is averaging 0.6 deflections per game. Right. Uh, to put that in perspective, Nathan Mensah is doubling him up at 1.2. Brandon Miller, the rookie, is at 1.5. Lamelo Ball leads the team at 2.8. As I mentioned earlier, that's 15th in the NBA. Like, if you're JT Thor and you can't do anything on offense, like your, your shot isn't good enough, you can't put the ball on the deck, you can't pass the ball for sure, and you're not a monster strength, you're not guy kind of grabbing a bunch of rebounds, At least you want to show some value as like a disruptive defender who can cause some turnovers, who can use your length. And look, there has been some signs of life from a torrid, torrid start to the season in recent times. He's had some some quarters, some games where he's looked better. But like you look at the full body of work, it's still like borderline. Well, not even borderline. There are people playing in the G League better than JT Thor right now. That's just a fact. Now, they might not be as young as he is. They might not have the measurables that he has. Um, But at like some point that only gets you so far. So I agree. He's still probably shown enough that like, I think his option got picked up uh, earlier in the season for next year, or he didn't get turned down. So I think they like the kid. They like his work ethic, but I still don't think he's showing enough to be, you know, to be to show that he is going to be part of this long-term core. His offensive rebounding has improved in recent games. Like, that's one thing that has improved, and that's actually been like helped him get to the rim a little bit more because he's got some points. But um, that's been the only real focus I can really say is of offensive rebounding has been better as of late. But JT, you have to start being more disruptive as a defender. That is your selling point, and it's just not it's not being impactful enough right now for you to be a contributing player.
0: I have not held much stock in JT Thor for quite some time now, and to accentuate your Extremely scary defensive stat. I've got one offensively as well. The appeal of him as an offensive player, right, coming out of Auburn, was somebody that could shoot really well, had nice smooth mechanics for like a six ten lefty, had a little bit of off dribble juice. Do you? I want you to take a guess at what his effective field goal percentage is this season, right now. What What do you think it is, James?
1: Um, forty two percent.
0: It is 40.4% and that is factoring in that three point shots are more difficult and worth more points than twos. So he is essentially barely above a 40% shooter when factoring in the difficulty of threes, which again is one of the more high volume attempts that he takes and is supposed to be the appeal of him as an offensive player. So it is just, I've,
1: I've just found a stat that trips everything.
0: Oh my god. Do you want to guess what, how what many
1: you? do you want to guess how many free throws that JT Thor has hit this season?
0: Oh no. <laughs> mm. Three.
1: Uh you are correct. He has three free throws for the season. Attempts for oh. the season. He is at uh for the whole season, he is at seven attempts for the entire season. Uh, uh how many how many minutes has JT Thor played in total?
0: 452 dog. I hate doing this, but that is like egregious for an NBA wow. player that's like an athlete. He's like by all means a good NBA athlete. He's 6'10", relatively strong, fast, mobile for his position. There's no world in which a player that is built like JT should only draw 7 free throw attempts in almost 500 minutes that is just me or you that is astounding
1: genuinely like i genuinely agree if if you gave
0: the team like a, a fake if you just put us in place of jt and gave the team a fake scouting report we i think we would i'm obviously kidding but like god damn that is that is egregious that is so 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 low i mean nathan mensa has drawn more free throws than that i would almost guarantee I'm, i haven't even oh, looked but one, there's no like, doubt in my mind that nathan mensa has taken at least seven fr- uh free throw attempts this year yeah yeah he's JT4, nathan, yeah nathan mensa's nine for 12 from the line so on top of generating more he's shooting a higher percentage and nathan mensa wow. was averaging eight points and eight rebounds per game in the g league two months ago so yeah the verdict i think is out on jt4 unfortunately i don't see much in the way of upside anymore now that he's halfway through his third season, unfortunately.
1: He he would be a guy that I could completely understand new management coming in and going, yeah, we don't have time to wait for this kid. Like, he might be something eventually, but, like, this team is, like I say, lacks depth. And this is one of the reasons why is because there are a bunch of young players on this team who are not good enough to play in the NBA right now. So when there are injuries and they're called upon, the team stinks. So we have to, like, this isn't the situation for JT Thor right now, it's just not,
0: and it sucks to say because he was supposed to be a part of what was a very high, hyped up, high expectations draft class in 2021, but by all means has not come to fruition. So, should we move on to the last player in the Hornets 10 and 60 here, James? Yeah. And this is easily the the saddest part for me. So we're ending this on a low note. I know. For, for I did myself. this on purpose, so you had. I know. I know you did. So my <laughs> my property on Bryce McGowan's Island has never had lower value. I'm gonna start with the very brief positives right now. His overall efficiency numbers have gone up by a noticeable degree. He's now a 38% shooter from deep on two threes per game. Solid numbers for a role playing wing. I also think he's like a solid positional defender. That doesn't get beat as often as some players on the team do. Solid, I think, is a word that you have to use a lot with Bryce McGowns, which it just is not going to cut it for a player that you know is in the role that he is in and has the, especially has the talent that he has.
1: I think I'd because go below apart, solid. I have to say, I think you're being honestly, very kind with solid. I think I'd, I'd go I'd, like yeah. rubbery. Offensively, rubbery. offensively,
0: it's not even solid, which is the thing, is because he's supposed to be like a good offensive player, what but happens? he is an extremely. He's so hesitant, dude. I don't get it. He he's, just doesn't. Confidence crisis, confidence yeah.
1: crisis. He's lost the identity of who he was as a player. He used to play with swag in college. He used mm, to play yes. with like so much offensive. I'm the effing dude and I'm going to get buckets. And I feel like he's almost watched too much film. Coaches has got too much in his ear. And now he just thinks about everything and is trying to fit in too much. And he's just lost what made him at all an interesting player. I mean, he dominated the G League. He was like so dominant in the G league in his rookie season and we have just reversed backwards I don't even get like if you tell him to shoot thirty eight percent this year you think oh great but that makes no difference because the rest of the game has just abandoned him
0: so for whatever reason this was the most confusing part of it to me he is averaging fewer field goal attempts and has a lower usage rate than he did last season like how Should that be possible with a year of development and you know having a firmer place in the rotation, somebody that is is calling card is being a on-ball scorer, like just a guy that can heat up, like you said, gets buckets, attacks guys one-on-one, and can score, he can draw fouls, which is really the only positive in his game right now is that he's still in the 94th percentile in shooting foul percentage on cleaning the glass. But the only thing is that he doesn't lean into that, like he only averages like less than two free throws or just barely over two free throws per 36 minutes, not even per game. Like per game, he's barely over one. And he only, if you gave him starter minutes, he's still only averaging 2.4 free throws per game while being fouled at an extremely high rate. And in college, that was his best skill. It just has not come through in the NBA at all. And if that were the case, being accentuated by that raised three point percentage would probably help. But the lack of like, just aggressiveness that he has he's not like a potent scorer at all which is like what he used to be like you could picture him being like a 6-7 like microwave scoring wing that yeah. got to the line a lot and scored off the bounce from three and made like the right passes on dump offs and to cutters and stuff and the, the defense at times last year and even early this year showed signs but like it's just not there. Like nothing that he does is gonna cut it in like a like a bench scorer role or even yeah. like a more simplified three and D role. It's and which Look, is shown by the steep drop off in minutes lately. Two DNPs and two minutes against Philly. So
1: Yeah, and now behind Nick Smith Jr. in the rotation. Yep. I mean which and is... James
0: Booknight for for a period of time, it seemed, which yeah. That that is a more ghastly statement than we've said probably about anybody in this. Whole he's podcast. one of the,
1: the rare players who got benched during a game this year by Steve Cufford, which yep. is which rarely happens. Yeah, I look. It's one of two things, with Bryce. It is either he is like you say a complete confidence crisis, and he is not in a good place, like in terms of like his headspace, and and he's just not in ability to like buy into the game and and commit to it, or. He made it to the league, he's got his guaranteed contract and he's mailed it in. Right. <laughs> like I don't know the guy, so I, I can't tell you that's happened, but he would not be the first person who you get that big contract, you take your foot off the pedal, you relax. Um, I know we we're all excited about his morning workouts with Gordon Hayward in the offseason. Uh they whatever he would they were doing, it has not worked. Um, but yeah, I, I don't look, I don't think Bryce McGowans is that type of character. Uh, you know, I'd be reluctant to say that, but there's something was fundamentally different with how he approaches the game. um, And and he's just like, say he's lost that, that verb, like Nick, Nick Smith jr. He's playing exactly like how he was in high school and college. Like he has identity as a player. Bryce McGowan's is just like, is non-existent. He's lost his identity. I think we begin to see it in summer league this year where like, he just turned into like an occasional downhill driver. And it like, he was just, we were all scratching our heads a little bit at the summer league performance, and it's just carried straight on into the season. Um, So, yeah, my alert level on Bryce McGowan's is pretty high right now. Uh, he is a non-guaranteed two million, I think it is, for next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he needs to he needs to take some opportunities for the end of this the end of this year.
0: I actually think he might be a sneaky candidate to be moved at the deadline here if another team is interested in. A flyer on a young player, or maybe swapping flyers yeah. on a young player for another. He's team none of these
1: Hornets like... young guys have any trade value, so it's no, like they really who the don't. fuck would want to take a flyer?
0: <laughs> I don't. I, that's a, that is a great point, but I do think Bryce maybe just being young, the youngest of the bunch. I mean, apart from Nick Smith, obviously, but you'd have to imagine the Hornets are looking to keep him. Yeah, maybe Bryce has something to offer to an opposing team, but. Yeah, I mean, hey, and even if he's not moved, like if they move other guys and bring new guys in, like I have to imagine that they would be, you know, pushing him further down the pecking order for the rotation. So yeah, it is not not looking good for, for Bryce, there's, unfortunately. There's something
1: going on. I'm sure of it. And and he's, you know, he's a quiet individual. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's extremely worrying because he was a promising player at the end of last season. I just think that last game, the end of last season, I think Mark had 2010, Bryce McGowan's team high in points. Uh, something's happened. Yeah. Anyway, Chase, that brings us to an end of our 10 and 60. Um, we've hit on all the key players, hopefully, in our next edition, which will probably be sometime in March, I would imagine, after the trade deadline. Um, or maybe we'll do late February. Hopefully, we'll be able to talk about Mark Williams. Uh, we we may never talk about Gordon Hayward ever again. He might just be not playing for after the trade deadline. It's looking more and more likely that way. We might be having to do the right. Let's talk about Gordon Hayward's time in Charlotte podcast. That might be one for us at some point in February. But uh, look, thank you for for your time today. It was good to to hit all these players again. Kind of another a, checkpoint here, and we'll make sure to do it again in the in the future
0: absolutely i hope the listeners enjoyed it as well it was nice to get all these thoughts kind of fleshed out here as a uh, as the deadline approaches and like you said maybe the last time we talk about some of these guys yep. as as charlotte hornets in this way so thank you everybody for listening as always yep. see, you, see you
1: next week for fake trades